or after you put your songbook away this morning, get ready to study from the Word of God. Get your Bible out, please, and go over into your Old Testament to the book of Numbers. Will you please go in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11, I promise you we're going to be reading some verses from there in uh, just a few minutes. In connection, in connection to our rising above theme that our shepherds have set before us this year, this morning in this study, I want to talk with you about something that, that can make our lives miserable. I want to talk with you about something that can drain us emotionally, take away our confidence, and rob us of our enthusiasm. I want to talk with you about something that can consume our thoughts, keep us up late at night, affect how we treat other people, and leave a huge scar in our hearts for a very long time. My dear friends, this morning in our study from the Word of God, I want to talk with you about discouragement. Discouragement. You ever been discouraged before in your life? You ever battled discouragement? You ever had those moments in your life when you were really down and anxious and, and maybe even depressed? You ever had those moments when you just didn't want to get out of bed, when you just wanted to lay in your bed all day with the blinds closed? And maybe just stare at the ceiling or, or, or the wall and just focus on whatever problems you had in your life. You ever gone through those kinds of things? You ever been really discouraged before? If so, then let me ask you this. What was the cause of that? What was the source of that mindset? What was the source of your discouragement? I mean, what's the source of your discouragement? People? Was it maybe people even in the church that a brother or sister in the church at one time in your life say something to you that they really tore you up inside? It really brought you down. It, it really discouraged you. Is the source of your discouragement or your discouragements other people, maybe even people in the church, or is the source of your discouragement yourself? Is the source of your discouragement you beating up yourself because you find yourself continually to stumble over the same kinds of things over and over in your life? Is the source of your discouragement maybe living in this current world? Maybe it's all the violence and the division and the moral depravity that we, we are currently seeing in our society. Maybe all that stuff has you really discouraged. Maybe living through this pandemic for the past year, maybe that's really got you down in your life right now. Maybe you are currently going through something in your life that just has you in the dumps. Maybe you got somebody on your job who's giving you a hard time. Maybe you're dealing with a bully at school. Maybe you got some conflict in your, in your family. Maybe you got some conflict in, in your marriage. Maybe you're married to someone who's not a Christian. 
Or, or maybe you have a child who has left the Lord and for the past few months, the past few years, you've been doing your best to teach them the word of God. But no matter how, how much you teach them the word of God, guess what? They're just stubborn. They got hard hearts. They are not budging. They're not giving you any kind of hope that they're going to respond to the gospel anytime soon. Maybe the source of your discouragement comes from you, 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 your thinking that you are failing when it comes to evangelism. Or maybe you're discouraged because by now in your life, you wish you were married. Or you wish that you and your spouse had some kids or maybe by now in your life you you wish you had a job or or a career that you really enjoyed a lot more i think we can all agree that there are a whole bunch of things that can bring about discouragement in our lives and i want to submit to you this morning that that reality really shouldn't surprise us it really shouldn't shock us. It really shouldn't leave us flabbergasted this morning because this reality is something that, that, that we can read about all through the Bible. This reality is something that we can read about all through throughout the word of, of God, throughout the word of God. We can read about numerous examples of people, regular people like us. People who serve God. People who love God. And worship God and did their best to do the will of God. But guess what? They had to deal with discouragement. They had to deal with many days and many years of discouragement. I'm reminded of the man of God named Joseph. Do you remember the story of God's servant Joseph? Remember his story? Remember, Joseph was someone who went through many, many setbacks in his life. Remember, because he was his father, Jacob's favorite son, because Jacob made him a coat of many colors. He faced intense jealousy from his older brothers. And he was actually sold into slavery by his brothers. And he was falsely convicted of a crime that he did not commit. And he spent several years in an Egyptian jail cell as a result of that. Joseph faced many unfair, unfair problems throughout the course of his life. And let me just ask you, when you consider that, when you consider all of the unfair problems that Joseph had to face in his life, do you think he ever got discouraged? Do you think he ever felt like giving up? Do you ever, felt, ever, ever think that he felt like throwing in the towel as he, as he said in an Egyptian jail cell for a crime that he was completely innocent of? There is no doubt that Joseph was a man who faced discouragement starting very early in his life. And then let's also think about Moses. Are you in Numbers chapter 11? I want to start reading with verse number 10. Let's set up the context for what's going on in Numbers chapter 11. By this time, Moses has led the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. He has led them miraculously across the Red Sea. He's leading them to the promised land. But as they journey on, guess what? All the people do is complain. Particularly, all they do is complain about food. They complain about not having bread. And so God gives them bread. He gives them manna miraculously out of heaven after eating God's bread for a time. Guess what? They don't want that anymore. They say we're tired of God's bread now. We want meat. Some even say we want to go back to Egypt. We want to live as slaves again. These people griped 
and they complained and they were ungrateful for the blessings of God. And by this time in Numbers 11, Moses has reached his limit with them. And so in Numbers chapter 11, beginning with verse number 10, it said, Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man at the doorway of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you been so hard on your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you've laid the burden of all this people on me? What did I do to deserve this? Was it I who conceived all this people? Was it I who brought them forth and you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which, I, which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me, saying, give us meat that we may eat. I alone am I able to carry all this people because it is too burdensome for me. So if you're going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. If I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. Well, I just want you to see there is by this time, by this time. Moses, he's had enough. Notice how during this rough time in his life, during this time when the people he is leading, all they do is complain and they gripe and grumble. Moses is ready to give up. Moses is ready to throw in the towel. He even wants God to kill him. He wants God to, to take his life. He didn't want to lead these people anymore. He didn't want this responsibility anymore from his example. We see that even great leaders of God's people get discouraged. Even they get fed up. Even they reach their limits. Moses was discouraged. And as you keep reading that, you're going to see God's going to help him out. God's going to tell him to get him some help. And, and that's going to make his life better. But Moses was discouraged. And let's not forget about the classic example of, of Elijah, right? Let's not forget about our scripture reading this morning. Remember, after experiencing a great victory against the false prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel, the wicked queen Jezebel, she aggressively pursued Elijah in an effort to kill him. She wants to kill Elijah. She wants to get revenge against the prophet of God because he killed her false prophets of Baal. This caused Elijah to run for his life. He flees into the wilderness. He sits under a juniper tree and he begs God to also take his life. Like Moses, he wants to die. He doesn't want to go on anymore. And we're going to talk more about Elijah later on in the lesson. But let's move on to Jeremiah. Many of you know that Jeremiah is typically called what? He's typically called the weeping prophet, right? He's called the weeping prophet. I submit to you that he's called the weeping prophet for a reason. He's called the weeping prophet because the message he preached to the people of Israel in his day, it wasn't the most pleasant message. It wasn't some nice and warm and fuzzy kind of message. Instead, it was a message of judgment. It was a message of punishment. It was a message of doom and gloom. Jeremiah told the people that if you don't stop this, if you don't repent, you're going to go into captivity. And then eventually told them that, capti that captivity is inevitable. He preached a very 
doom and gloom kind of message to the people of Israel, and that caused them to hate him. That caused them to despise him and severely persecute him. In fact, there was a time when things got so bad for Jeremiah that he wished he had never been born. He dreaded the day he came out of his mother's womb. That's how he spent much of his, of his ministry. And then let's talk about some New Testament examples. Remember the Apostle Paul? Remember all the things that Paul says about himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 27? Remember there Paul talks about the false accusations and the imprisonments and the sleepless nights and the various times when he was forsaken by his own brethren? Remember he mentions the stonings. And the shipwrecks, remember the various times he says he had to watch false teachers infiltrate the church and, and deceive the very people of God. The Apostle Paul went through many discouraging moments as he preached the gospel. And let's not leave off the best example we have of this, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. What about the various times? And the various things that even caused the very Son of God to be discouraged. Things like the immaturity of his disciples. And the various occasions when he was rejected by the people of his day. Even though he performed miracles that, that confirmed his identity. And the various times he had to witness the defilement and the misuse of the temple of God. And let us also not forget about the huge burden that he carried with him every single day, knowing that he was going to suffer humiliation and agony so that the debt for our sins could be paid. You see, contrary to what a lot of people may suggest today, Jesus, Jesus, even though he was God in the flesh, he did not live a life void of troubles and problems and burdens. He did not live a life void of discouragement. Instead, he went through discouraging moments just like us. Joseph faced discouragement. Moses, Elijah, Jeremiah, Paul, Jesus, all of these people and so many more faced discouraging times in their lives. Discouragement is something that affects every, every servant of God. But even though it affects every servant of God, we need to understand that like fear, like we talked about fear last month, discouragement can also bring about a lot of negative consequences. It can bring about a lot of negative consequences in our lives if we don't try to overcome it. For example, if we're not careful, discouragement, while it is not a sin, discouragement can bring about pessimism. Pessimism, you know what pessimism is, don't you? Pessimism, simply put, is when a person walks around all the time assuming the worst about every situation. You ever met folks like that before? It's all doom and gloom, always. It's the worst about every situation. Everything they, they look at, they look at it from a negative perspective. They're like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Remember Eeyore? Brother Ryan brought up Eeyore in a sermon a few weeks ago. I, I really like that. Brother Ryan, because I grew up as a kid, I grew up watching a lot of Winnie the Pooh. And I'm going to tell you something. If there was anybody, if there's anybody who epitomizes pessimism and negativity, 
is Eeyore. Eeyore was all about pessimism, and unfortunately, a lot of Christians are just like that. They're just like that. In fact, Elijah, Elijah as a prophet of God, he was just like that. Go back to 1 Kings. I want you to go in your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to park ourselves right there. I could take you all through the Bible this morning and show you numerous examples of people who fell into the, this, these traps that we're going to talk about for the next few minutes, but I don't want to do that. I just want to park you in one spot. I want to just talk about Elijah this morning. Can I just talk about Elijah with you? I think Elijah is the best case study that can help us overcome this problem with discouragement. And so let's look at 1 Kings chapter 19. Here in the context, in the context here, Elijah, he's on the run. He's running for his life. Jezebel wants to kill him because he killed her prophets. He had her prophets, her false prophets killed at Mount Carmel. You're probably very familiar with that story. Now, in 1 Kings 19, in verse number 9, after Elijah flees to Beersheba, after he pouts under a juniper tree, and after God provides food and water for him, and he eventually reaches Horeb, the mountain of God, in 1 Kings 19 and verse 9, it says that he, Elijah, came to a cave, and he lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10, he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. Now watch this now. He says, and I alone, I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Notice the very pessimistic attitude that Elijah has on this occasion. Do you see it? Notice how on this occasion, Elijah is so discouraged and he is so disheartened that he believes, he really believes that he's the only person left in Israel who's faithfully serving God. He really believes that he's the only person in Israel who is not immersed in idolatry. Elijah has allowed discouragement to lead him to having a very pessimistic attitude in life. And if we're not careful, my friends, listen, listen carefully. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves allowing discouragement to lead us down the very same path. If we're not careful in our moments of discouragement, we can find ourselves being consumed with our negative situation and losing a proper perspective about life. We can find ourselves thinking that there's no hope for us. Life is over for us and things are worse for us than they really are. Elijah allowed discouragement to bring about a pessimistic attitude about life. But not only can discouragement bring about pessimism, a second thing it can bring about is fear. Remember, we talked about fear last month, didn't we? We started this whole series talking about fear. Remember we said fear is something that can disable us as Christians. Remember we said fear is something that can cripple us and render, render us useless in the work of God. That's exactly what it's going to do to Elijah. I'm going to 1 Kings 19 again. Look at verse number 1. In verse number 1, the Bible says, after Elijah experienced this great victory on Mount Carmel, it says, Now Ahab, 
the, the evil and wicked King Ahab, he told Jezebel, his wife, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. Verse three. And he was what? He was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. Notice how after experiencing this great victory on Mount Carmel, because he's afraid of Jezebel and her wrath, Elijah has allowed discouragement to lead him to walking in fear. He's walking in fear. Instead of walking by faith, he has allowed discouragement to rob him of the great joy he felt in his heart after he had defeated the prophets of Baal. He allowed fear to rob him of his trust in God and his willingness to lean on God and his willingness to pray to God as he was doing prior. If you remember prior to this moment here, in first Kings 19, Elijah was a man of prayer, wasn't he? Oh, yes, he was a man of prayer. The Bible makes that clear over and over again. You read James, James chapter 5 and verses 17 and 18. And James tells us that prior to this moment here, Elijah prayed to God earnestly that it would not rain in the land of Israel. And guess what? It didn't rain for three and a half years. The Bible says he then prayed to God again and the earth poured forth rain. That happened prior to this moment. And then in the previous chapter, 1 Kings 18, when on Mount Carmel, Elijah prayed to God that God would expose the false prophets of Baal. And God answered that prayer by sending fire from the sky and it consumed the sacrifice that Elijah was offering on the altar. You see, prior to this moment, 1 Kings 19, Elijah was a man of serious prayer. But now in his moment of discouragement, he's not praying He's not talking to God. He's not appealing to God for help and encouragement. He's allowed fear to totally cripple him and his spirituality. That's what discouragement can do. It can bring about pessimism. It can bring about a lack of focus and fear. And it can also bring about a defeatist attitude. A defeatist attitude. When we say defeatist attitude, we mean that if we're not careful, discouragement can bring about a willingness to, to just want to give up. Give up on life. Give, give up on your brethren. Give up on God. Going back to 1 Kings 19 and verse 4, notice how there we learn that Elijah is so discouraged that he doesn't just want to give up on his work as a prophet. He wants to give up on life. He wants to die. He wants God to take his life. That's how discouraged he is on this occasion. He feels totally defeated. I knew a man several years ago who after a family member of his who was a small child died of a dreadful disease. He struggled with that so much that he completely gave up on his faith. He completely gave up on his faith in the Bible. He completely gave up on his faith in God. In fact, he began to reason that God could not be real. Otherwise, no small children 
across the globe would ever get sick and die. He allowed discouragement from suffering and problems to lead him to throwing in the towel. To lead him to losing clarity of thought and to no longer see value in studying the Bible and serving God or even believing in God. That's what discouragement can do. If we're not careful, we can allow it to bring about a defeatist attitude. And if we're not careful, we can also allow it to bring about isolation. We're talking about isolation too this year, right? Discouragement can bring about isolation. Going back to 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 3, we need to understand that in his moment of discouragement, you know what Elijah does? He seeks to be isolated. He tells his servant to go away and he goes into the wilderness so he can be all by himself. He wants to fight his battles all alone and maybe you found yourself having the same attitude before. Maybe in your moments of discouragement, you have found yourself disconnecting from others. Cutting off the people who love you in your life, isolating yourself from other people and trying to fight your battles all alone. Maybe in your moments of discouragement, you have found yourself doing that kind of stuff. And if you have, I want you to know something. I want you to know that in that moment, the devil had you right where he wanted you. He had you right where he wanted you. The devil knows that we are weaker fighting alone than with brothers and sisters in Christ. He understands that. The problem is so often we don't understand that. What I just want you to see is while being discouraged is not a sin. It's not a sin to be discouraged. But it can bring about a lot of negative consequences. It can bring about pessimism, fear, a willingness to just want to give up and throw in the towel and isolation. These are just some of the negative consequences of discouragement, the question though is, is how do we overcome it? How do we rise above it? What are some practical things that we need to, to remember in our lives that can, that can prevent discouragement from totally crippling us and our service to the Lord? Well, very quickly, I wanna give you about three or four things, three or four practical things to remember whenever you get discouraged. And I think these things will help us in our lives. First, if we're going to overcome discouragement, if we're going to rise above it, then the first thing we got to remember is we got to remember God knows. We got to remember God knows and God cares. Go back to 1 Kings chapter 19. We look at verse number 9 again. After Elijah, after he starts running from Jezebel, he comes to Horeb, the mountain of God. And it says in 1 Kings 19 and verse 9, Then he came there to a cave, and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, this is the word of the Lord. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? In verse number 10, Elijah starts to throw a pity party. He says, I feel like I'm the only one in Israel trying to serve God. In verse 11, he said, go forth. The Lord said, go forth. And stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord was passing by like that. The Lord was passing by. And a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out 
and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone and left and they seek my life to take it away. What I just want you to see here. What I just want you to see is after God provided for Elijah, after he gave him food and water in the preceding verses, after he follows him in his moment of discouragement, God then goes out of his way to remind Elijah of something very important. He reminds him that he was right there with him. He reminds him that he was not alone that he was right there with him in his life, that he cared about him, and he was going to help him get through that rough moment. That's what God is doing for Elijah here. That's what God is reminding Elijah of. And let me tell you something. God reminds us of the same thing throughout the scriptures. I mean, isn't that the last thing Jesus said before he went to heaven to sit at the right hand of God? Remember Matthew 28 and verse 20? The last thing Jesus said before he went to heaven is, Lo, I will be with you, what? Always, even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13 in verse number 5, the Hebrew writer says that the Lord will never leave us or forsake us. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 7, Peter says that we are to cast all of our anxieties before, before God because he what? He cares about us. He actually cares about me and he cares about you. Notice how one of the truths that is announced all throughout the gospel, it is announced all throughout the New Testament is the fact that God cares about us. It is the fact that God knows us and he watches over us and he will never forsake us. He will never desert us. He will never leave us alone as his people. The Bible reminds us over and over again that God knows and God cares. And, and will you please remember that? If somebody's not treating you right on your job. If you got somebody on your job giving you a hard time, if you're having problems in your marriage, if you have conflict with your kids, if you're tired of living in a world that is getting further and further away from the will of God. If you're discouraged because you keep teaching the word of God, but no one seems to be responding to the things that you're saying. I don't care what you may be going through in your life right now. Will you please remember that according to the Bible, God knows your heart. And he cares about you. He knows you and he cares about you. He cares about you just like he cared about Elijah. If we're going to overcome discouragement, we got to always remember that God knows and God cares. And we also got to remember to stay connected. We got to stay connected. We got to stay connected to God first through prayer and Bible study. But beyond God, we also got to stay connected to one another. We got to stay connected to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember, Elijah, he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to stay connected to other people while he was being discouraged. He went into the wilderness to isolate himself from other people. God wants us to learn from his mistake. This is part of Galatians 6 and verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. How are we going to do that if we're not connected? This is part of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. Remember what Paul says there in 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to chapter 5 
And in verse number 14, the Apostle Paul says in verse 14, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. I want to suggest to you that we can't do anything that that verse says being disconnected, can we? We can't encourage one another. We can't help the weak. We can't admonish one another by being disconnected. No, if we're going to do what that verse says at the highest level, then we got to be close. We got to be connected. We got to find a way to develop real and genuine relationships, even during a time of COVID, outside these walls. We got to do that. In fact, did you know that's one of the main reasons why God even created the local church? Did you know that? Did you know that in addition to providing us an opportunity to worship together and pool our money together to do God's work, one of the main reasons why God even created the local church is so that Christians who live in a general vicinity to one another can help one another, can know one another and work together and encourage one another. You see, we got to always remember that God knows his creation better than anyone else. God knows we're social creatures. God knows we need community. God knows we need family. God knows that as human beings, we need motivation and encouragement from other people from time to time as we travel through this life. And so guess what? He created the local church so that Christians can have an avenue to provide that, those things for each other. The local church demonstrates the wisdom of God. And so we got to remember that. We got to remember God knows and He cares. And we got to remember to stay connected. And we also got to remember our purpose. We got to remember our purpose. We got to remember that no matter how much we get discouraged in our lives, we can never allow discouragement to distract us and hinder us from doing the things that God has called us to do. Go back to 1 Kings again because Elijah fell into this trap, he fell into it. And God's going to get him out of it. In 1 Kings 19 and verse number 15, after Elijah throws his pity party, 1 Kings 19 and verse 15, the Lord says to him, go return on your way. Notice that word go, go, get out of here, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you should anoint Haziel king over Aram. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shapheth, of, of Abel-Melholah, you shall anoint as a prophet in your place. It shall come about the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha, shall put to death. Notice what's going on here. Notice how after God... Let's Elijah know that he was with him and he knew about his circumstance. God then told him he needed to get up. God then told him that he needed to pick himself up. He needed to stop pouting. He needed to stop feeling sorry for himself and contemplating throwing in the towel. And he needed to get busy doing the work that he called him to do. He needed to get busy anointing these various men to become kings. And he needs to continue preaching the word of God. You see, with this admonition, it seems that God, God is taking the focus off Elijah and his problems in his life. And he's putting the focus back on where it needed to be. And that's on him. 
That's on his work and his purpose and his word. God takes the focus off of Elijah and his circumstances and he puts it on him. He says, you need to remember my purpose for you, Elijah. The question is, what's your purpose? What's your purpose? Do you know what your purpose is as a Christian? Go in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. It's important you know your purpose because if you don't know your purpose, you will allow discouragement to consume you. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9, Peter tells us what our purpose is. 1 Peter 2 and verse number 9, Peter speaks of Christians and he says, but you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you can do something, so that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. There is our purpose right there. Notice how our purpose as Christians is to bring honor, glory, and praise to God. It is to proclaim the excellencies of God it is to live lives that bring glory to God and motivate other people to do the same thing. That's our purpose. Our purpose is not to be selfish. Our purpose is not to be self-absorbed. Our purpose is to not spend our days in discouragement, focusing on ourselves and on our problems. No, the Bible says instead of it being about us, it's always about God. It's all about it's always about bringing glory to God. We got to remember that in our moments of discouragement is still all about God. And if we can remember that, then maybe we can remember this fourth thing, and that is the need to keep a proper perspective. The need to always remember that no matter how bad our situation is, no matter what problems we're going through, if we're Christians, life is never really as bad as we make it out to be. Remember, Elijah had to learn that from God in 1 Kings 19.18. God told Elijah that even though he thought he was the only one in Israel still serving the Lord, guess what? He was wrong about that. He wasn't the only one in Israel still serving God. God said, I still got 7,000 people in this land who had not bowed, bowed themselves down to Baal. Things were not as bad in Israel as Elijah may have thought. You know, so often when we're discouraged about something, you know what we can find ourselves doing? Having short-sighted vision. We can find ourselves thinking, hey, life's all over for me. This situation's going to last forever. It's not going to get any better. Maybe I just need to give up on being a Christian because it's just not worth it. So often we fail to realize that even in our rough moments, we're still extremely blessed. God is still good. We still live in the greatest country in the world. No matter how bad we may think it is, I live in this country over any other any day of the week. We have so many freedoms. We still got wonderful families. We got brothers and sisters in Christ. We're gonna go home today to clean water, electricity, nice warm beds. Amazon Prime, DirecTV, Netflix. I don't know if you know this, but the vast majority of people in the world don't have that stuff. Did you know that? They don't have it. And most importantly, we got heaven, don't we? We got heaven waiting for us when this life is over. Whenever we feel overwhelmed, 
with stress and grief and discouragement, can we challenge ourselves to pause and get some perspective? Can we challenge ourselves to remember that more than likely this too shall pass? God is still good. Jesus is still Lord. And heaven is waiting for us as the people of God. That's my lesson this morning. And so I just want to close by asking you this. Are you discouraged? You discouraged? Do you need encouragement? You need encouragement from your spiritual family? If so, we'll give you encouragement. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. We'll do whatever we have to do to build you up. That's our responsibility. Do you need encouragement or do you need something greater than that? Do you need the greatest need of all? And that is salvation. If so, you can receive that today also. If you're willing to believe in Jesus Christ and repent of your sins and obey his commandment to be baptized for the remission of your sins, the Lord will, will save you, add you to his church, and you can leave here a child of God. Whatever spiritual needs you may have this morning, let us help you with it right here and right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.